0: What's going on, people? Welcome to the Post Game Number Crunch. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting, creator of the House and Growl's Timberwolves newsletter, and this podcast is proudly brought to you by Canis Hoopers and SB Nation. If you'd like to subscribe to House and Growl's, follow the link in the show notes or head to houseandrows.substack.com In anticipation of the trade deadline and the madness that has indeed surrounded it, we have a special offer over at House and Drows that allows you to grab a monthly subscription and receive a full month for free. So if you've found a second wind on this weird team, or you're still chugging along on your first wind, then head over there now to grab a that free month and that special offer. It's been a weird season, it's a weird team, and right now it's an even weirder league. But do head over to houseanddrows.substack.com. I'll follow the link in the show notes to kind of embrace all of that weirdness with me. But we have a game to talk about. Well, we have a lot to talk about. I'm not sure we will complete the whole smorgasbord of topics swirling around the Wolves in this episode. But I've got a couple of long form pods coming in the next few days to discuss tonight's trade and what it means for the Wolves, or to discuss it in a little bit more depth than we'll get into in this episode. But there was also a game tonight. A few hours before it tipped off, it was actually very easy to forget that there was a game and that that game was not going to involve former Timberwolf D'Angelo Russell, new Timberwolves Mike Conley, and last season's Timberwolves Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt. So we just had a hodgepodge of players in a hodgepodge of a game Some of those players knew they were safe and that their roles maybe were even expanded. And probably there were some who didn't even know whether they were going to be on the same team that they started the evening with at the end of the evening. But we got through it. Well, really, the Timberwolves did more than that. They absolutely crushed the Utah Jazz. The score was 143-118. Pretty much flipping the script completely on the thrashing that they received at the hands of Denver the night before. I think this game might be one that kind of goes under the radar a little bit because of the trades and the weirdness and just the craziness of the whole night. But I also don't think it shouldn't be. Even with the extenuating circumstances, this was kind of one of Minnesota's best performances of the entire season. It was just from start to finish... Wonderful. I don't know if it was was that same sort of trade deadline bounce that they got a few years ago when they acquired D'Angelo Russell and acquired Malik Beasley and acquired Jared Vanderbilt, but it felt that way where just every single thing went right for them. All the shots were falling. They kept the turnovers down. They were out in transition a lot. They had their best transition points per possession game for the entire season. They were pretty good defensively, even though they did give up 118 points. They kind of just stomped Utah out. And I think after that Denver game, even with all the trade deadline madness swirling around the team, they needed to have a win like this. And to be frank, they need to have wins like this a lot more often. But I don't even know what to talk about from this game. I think I've said that for three straight games now, and it's all been for different reasons. First, there was the blowout win over Denver where the Nuggets rested all of their starters and it kind of just felt impossible to analyse. Then the Wolves get absolutely waxed by the healthy Nuggets and it kind of feels a similar way. And then we get this game that was sort of marred by the trade deadline, pilfering players from each side. So I guess I'll just pivot away from this game, which again, isn't really the point of this podcast and this game shouldn't be completely wiped from our memories because it really was a fun one. But I want to talk about the thing that we're all wanting to talk about, and that's Mike Conley and the trade. And specifically, he's fit with Rudy Gobert, who he's played with before, obviously, in Utah, and Anthony Edwards, who he hasn't played with before. So with that in mind, this episode's number is plus 5.9, as in the plus 5.9 net rating last season's Utah Jazz had when Conley, Gobert, and Donovan Mitchell were on the floor together. Let's take a break and dive into some more of that Conley lineup stuff. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Okay, so as I said before the break, the Jazz had a plus 5.9 net rating when newest wolf, Mike Conley, shared the floor with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell last season. And I know what you're probably thinking... Gobert obviously makes sense as he's now with the Wolves, but why Donovan Mitchell? Well, to me, without just lumping shooting guard mega talents together, I think it's reasonably fair to kind of compare Donovan Mitchell and Anthony Edwards as one, offensive hubs, two, less than ideal playmakers in terms of getting Rudy Gobert the ball, and three, as guys who can play both alongside someone like Conley, or play as a sort of lone ball handler as well. Now, it is dumb to just say that they are a one-to-one comparison and what went for Mitchell in Utah will go for Ant in Minnesota, alongside Mike Conley. But there's enough similarities to Ant to at least assume that these numbers can be in the same ballpark at least. And I guess if you even want to exclude Ant and Mitchell from the conversation entirely you still get a really pretty picture that gets painted. In fact, in the 623 minutes Conley played last season with Gobert on the floor and Mitchell off the floor, the Jazz scored 117.4 points per 100 possessions, which is elite, and they allowed 105.7 points per 100 possessions, which is elite that works out to be a plus 11.7 net rating, which is, yep, elite. Let's be honest, Conley isn't as good as D'Angelo Russell, not at least in a vacuum. We don't need to skirt around that fact even though that D'Lo is gone. And Conley certainly hasn't been as good as D'Lo has in the last few months. I mean, D'Lo has been having what is probably the best stretch in his whole career in terms of efficiency, and impact on winning, and kind of changing his game to be a purely off-ball guard who spends only some time on the ball rather than vice versa. But, based on previous results in Utah, and this season's results in Minnesota, there's no way that Russell is even in the same stratosphere in terms of Rudy Gobert unlockers. Yes, I know the Wolves probably shouldn't have backed up the Brinch truck for Gobert, but they have, and it's done, and the trade deadline is about to pass. Probably by the time you listen to this, the trade deadline might have already passed, and Gobert is still going to be on the Timberwolves roster. And if you unlock Gobert, you unlock something very, very impactful. I mean, Utah, as the example that we're already using, did that, and they got that very, very impactful version of Gobert. And if Minnesota can do that, I think they will start to see that enormous overpay, which is still an enormous overpay, start to feel a little bit less destructive. I mean, even if you want to kind of throw the advanced metrics, the net ratings, the offensive ratings, the defensive ratings, throw them out the window, throw all the advanced stats out the window, and just boil it down to basic numbers, D'Angelo Russell has had 50 assists to Rudy Gobert, in the 47 games Gobert has played this season. Last season, Conley had 100 assists to Gobert in 66 games. When Conley was on the floor alongside his big man, his big rolling Frenchman, Gobert's usage went up 1.6% and his assisted field goals at the rim went up a monstrous 13%. Mike Conley isn't who he was, We know that and that's probably the main bugaboo for most of us with this trade. Conley's legs are nearly gone completely defensively and he can no longer support himself or a team as a secondary or tertiary scorer on a team that wants to win a lot of games. And that's what the Wolves obviously want to do. But he knows how to get two feet in the paint. Still to this day, it's something that will probably never leave him and he knows what to do when he gets two feet in the paint. And to him, or for, for him, that's make quick decisions on whether he should float up one of his little patented runner shots, or flick a lob over to Gobert. And he knows how to play, I think this is important, that he knows how to play in the same speed that Gobert needs to play to flourish. For Delo, as good as he has been this season, and I don't want to disrespect that fact at all, he just... Could never get on the same wavelength as Gobert in terms of speed, in terms of where you need to get to to throw Rudy Gobert a lob or a pocket pass, it just wasn't really, it never really gelled and maybe they needed more time and it would have gelled but up to the point that it got up to, it never really gelled, it never got on that same wavelength. Conley lived on that same wavelength for an entire season and then some before that. He knows when to hurt and when to jerk which is something I think Gobert needs. He knows when to wait for Gobert to clear the ball screen for a pocket pass, where to get how deep to get into the paint to make a pocket pass or how deep to get into to to throw that lob or how to pull a defense to, toward him when he's in the paint so he can open up that lob or that pocket pass for Gobert. And he knows how to do the same thing for a dynamic wing like Ant or like Spider. Like Gobert, Donovan Mitchell's field goals at the rim were assisted 10% more often when Conley was on the floor versus when he was off the floor. And Mitchell's three-point mates were assisted 6% more often when Conley was alongside him. Mitchell also turned the ball over 4% less frequently in those minutes alongside Conley. So both of those guys, Mitchell and Gobert, were just better, much better versions of themselves when Conley was on the floor. That's not to say that it immediately translates to Ant or even that it immediately translates to this current iteration of Rudy Gobert, but it's a good sign. (laughs) And when you're looking at a trade from 10,000 feet before these players have even played a game together, all you're looking for is signs and omens and historical precedents. It's a sign that while Conley is the worst player, again, we don't need to skirt that fact, he might just be the better fit. And he will allow Ant to continue to blossom into his ball handler self and his off-ball kind of monster self. Even when Carl Anthony Towns is back and when Cat gets back, he's going to be sucking usage away from Ant. And if he was also trying to balance that act with D'Angelo Russell that's when it would have got a little bit hairy and a little bit hard to manage for Finch, I think. And Conley is also someone who can give Rudy a player he can actually feel comfortable with and kind of feel like he's a part of this offense when that guy's out there. Now, that's not really Delo's fault that Gobert didn't feel that way in Minnesota, but he's a big guy with a limited skill set who's in a new position or a new kind of city and a new role And it's been obvious that he hasn't really been able to find his footing the same way as he had found his footing in Utah. I think Conley at least gives him some of that solid ground to stand on. Again, I I acknowledge that catering to Rudy Gobert and kind of doubling down on the bad trade that you made to get Rudy Gobert seems like you're just sticking your head further into the sand. But they've got Rudy Gobert, they're paying him a shit ton of money and he's a really really good and impactful player if you can find a way to unlock him on offense while embracing all the stuff that he still does to this day with the Timberwolves on defense. Having Conley there is not the be-all and the end-all but getting someone who fits and empowers the current highest earner on the roster with Towns out in Rudy Gobert And the future highest earner and current, maybe, franchise pillar is a massive positive. It just has to be. But we can't call it a definite positive until we see how this thing plays out. And we will see how this thing plays out in the days and weeks and months ahead. I'll be here to discuss it, especially in some long-form pods over the next few days. I hope you will be too.